A little bit of a shorter lesson today. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we're going to begin in verse 26. Uh, last week we finished up the first half of chapter 14 and we read where Paul differentiated between the false gift of tongues and the true gift of tongues or languages. And he simply called the true gift in its plural form tongues because tongues, there's many different languages, there's many different tongues. And then the false gift, the gibberish, he called by the singular form tongue. You know, it's like you're speaking gibberish. Well, it's not like there's different gibberishes. It's just one you know, single gibberish. So he uses the singular form there. And Verse 23 might have been an exception. I'm still not sure because he uses the word tongues, but um, that could indicate languages also since that would, the message would have been unintelligible if it was not interpreted. And then lastly, Paul says that he, although he speaks in tongues more than all of them, that it is much better to prophesy so that everyone will be edified. It's much better to speak forth the things of God and to explain the principles of God and, and just everyday language and be able to teach the people. That's much better, he says. So today we look at the proper order of worship, and including when tongues are involved. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll begin at verse 26. We'll read through the chapter and we'll go back and look at several different points. What is the outcome then, brothers and sisters, when you assemble? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. All things are to be done for edification. Remember that phrase. All things are, be done, are to be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it must be by two or at the most three, and each one in turn, and one is to interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he is to keep silent in church and have him speak to himself and to God. Have two or three prophets speak and have the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to anyone who is sitting, then the first one is to keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the church of the saints, the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God first went out? Or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or a spirit, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, well, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly way. So the first thing here that Paul does after laying the groundwork in those past 25 verses is he, concerning what the tongues actually are, he now gives the proper procedure for using tongues in the church. And firstly, Paul says that you must remember that the overarching concern is that it must be edifying. All things are to be done for edification. It doesn't matter if you want to speak forth or sing an Old Testament hymn or a song, as he mentions here or some revelation that you've been given, or even to speak another language and, and that you have something to say to the people. All things are to be done for edification, which was a change for them. They were used to be to doing it for to be somebody, to make a scene, to, to, to be recognized in the church. And the proper procedure that Paul lays out here, uh, 
he gives four rules for speaking in tongues. Number one, he says only two or three people at most can speak. Remember before, we, he kind of fussed at him a little bit for, well, everybody wants to talk in tongues. Everybody, just, everybody gets up and starts rattling off. He says, no, that's not the proper way to do that. Only two or three people at most would speak, and each one must be in turn. There's another big, big rule that they were kind of, you know, busting. They were all just getting up and jabbering. I guess you could hear the guy next to you, but, you know, it would just be a mass confusion. And then thirdly, they must be immediately followed by the interpretation of that language. So you have to be able to understand what they're saying. Everybody needs to be, un, uh, be uh, brought up to what, that, what the guy said. It needs to be interpreted by somebody that knows that language. And then lastly, number four, if there is no interpreter, then the person must not be allowed to speak, and he can keep his thoughts to himself and to God. Kind of like the way Paul says that. Let him think to himself and to God. Right? If nobody else can understand you, what, why are you up here? Why are you, you know? So this one rule that Paul gives here, number two, of speaking in turn, that would greatly reduce the confusion in the church since, you know, apparently they were all going at it at one time and you just had mass confusion. There was no accountability. There was no order. You know, that's one of the things, you know, Paul also says to the church is, you know, all things must be done decently and in order. It's not a madhouse. And then rather than having one person to listen to with an interpreter, you know, given the, the sense of the message, there are multiple people all jumping up at one time. So you can imagine, no doubt, when you're trying to compete, you know, you see your kids and they're two or three talking at one time and one wants to be heard. What's he do? He gets louder and louder and louder. Pretty soon, you know, you just got everybody screaming all at one time, right? So you can imagine doing that in church where everybody's just getting louder and louder. So that's not decently and, and definitely not in order. And then limiting the tongues to just two or three people, that'd reduce that opportunity for each and every person to stand up and, and want to be seen and heard. And then lastly, talking about the interpret, interpreter, uh, having that interpreter present, if somebody's getting up and speaking gibberish, and, well, I don't know what he's saying. Okay, you sit down. This is gibberish. This is not a language. Okay? So you can imagine how this would reduce all the confusion that was going on in, in the church at, at Corinth. Sounds like a good plan so far, doesn't it? Sounds like Paul is instituting order in the church. What does he say about the gift of prophecy? In verse 29, let's read those few verses. Paul says, Paul writes, Having two or three prophets speak, and have the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, then the first one is to keep silent. And you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits or the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So here Paul touches upon another one of those temporary sign gifts that were um, happening at that time that was given by the Holy Spirit at that time. That of prophecy or being a, being a, prophecy, being a prophet. Now, and I know this frightens us somewhat when we hear about the Bible teaches that we're to you know, speak in tongues and I mean, there's prophets that are prophesying and, you know, red flags go up all over. You know, people begin to turn their heads and look around and see what, what's going on here. But remember, we're talking about the Corinthian church. We're talking about the early church. They didn't have the New Testament to turn to and read. They were using the, the Old Testament scriptures, the law, primarily. Man, had a few letters from time to time. For example, like first two letters to the Corinthians, right? There were some scripture around at the time, but so it kind of red flags go up when we talk about these New Testament prophets. 
But this is a foundational time in, in the time life of the church. So what's, John, what's three most important concepts when you're reading Scripture, when you're trying to figure out what Scripture means? Context. So what's the context when we're talking about tongues and prophets here? What's the context? Foundational, young church, right? God's still delivering Scripture to the church. So during Paul's time, there were active and true prophets who were actually speaking for God and, and delivering uh, other apostolic truths to the church. Now I'll say that just because they were speaking for God to the early church does not necessarily make what they said Scripture. For example, Paul says, I spoke in tongues more than you all. Does anybody have any uh, books of the Bible where, that has Paul's tongue speaking written down in it? Anybody have that? Like the Apocrypha or then we got Paul's tongues. It wasn't recorded. It wasn't kept for us. It wasn't preserved. In other words, we don't need to see that, do we? We don't have it. So even the prophets that were speaking to the Corinthian church, I, I think those were more local prophets that were kind of dedicated to each church. We don't have those writings preserved for us. So what do they say? Well, we don't really know, but we do know that they were speaking for God to that church at that time. So it's probably something more specific to that church. So just because they were speaking for God doesn't necessarily make it Scripture. So I want to make that point. So apparently meant for the, just those individual churches and they weren't preserved for us. Or otherwise, if we had those writings, we'd be reading them right now, wouldn't we, for examples to see uh, how they did that. So what were the rules that Paul gave for prophets uh, in, a, in a church just to speak? Number one, he says only two or three prophets were to speak. And then secondly, and this is kind of important, he says that the other prophets in attendance would pass judgment concerning what was said. Now remember, this may be a good point to remind you, what was the penalty for an Old Testament prophet that prophesied something in the future and it didn't come true? What was the penalty? Anybody remember? Death, right? Death. So, here, Paul's saying, if you do have a prophet in your church and he stands up and speaks, and apparently that was fairly common since the other prophets who were in attendance who were there also would judge what the one spoke. It's fairly common. So if they were given some revelation by way of the Holy Spirit, then the other prophets that were in attendance would judge what was said based on previous teachings and previous instruction from the apostles, maybe even earlier teaching from Paul. So we're told that if another prophet had something to say, so this one gets up and he's speaking and, and, and God reveals something through the Holy Spirit to, to another prophet that's there. So there's, there were probably several in attendance in the early foundational churches. What's supposed to happen? Well, when the first gets done speaking, then the second one is to stand up. He's to wait in turn, one by one, in order, so you can hear both what they have to say. And whatever they say is judged by the other prophets that are in attendance. Okay, so it wasn't the gibberish. It wasn't some man come in and, I've got a word from the Lord. How many people ever heard that? I've got the word from the Lord. He told me to go to Walmart after church so they got a sale going on. Right? I mean, we, we do have such foolishness that goes on now. To attribute to God, that's... You know, blasphemous in my opinion, definitely sacrilege, right? 
Who's got a word from the Lord? Anybody got a word from the Lord? Well, here we actually did have prophets that were in the church that did have a word from the Lord. And when they spoke, then the other prophets that were in tents would say, yes, you know, amen. Verily, verily, you know, this is true what he's saying. But they would all go in turn, and then when the first had, had spoken and was silent, then the next could speak. They would speak in turn, not all at the same time. And whatever was spoken could be heard by everybody and be judged by the, those who were in attendance, the other prophets that were in attendance. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I'm trying to beat this into your context. At this early time in the church, doctrine was still being delivered. And they didn't have access to all the scriptures like we do now. We have no excuse for not knowing the scriptures, God's holy word. But they didn't have access to all that. You know, they didn't have the letters to the Corinthians. They had, well, they had this one they were reading right now, right? Now, if you'll notice, you know, Paul, he was the human author of the majority of the New Testament. A lot of his was polemics or dealt with issues that were in the church and stuff that was going on. He dealt with the problems in the church to give them direction and stuff. But even then, we still have little or no record of what they taught the Corinthians on their first visit when he was here. You know, the letter is not the visit. There was a visit beforehand. And then Paul goes away after the church is founded and kind of on its own. I can't remember how long he was there. And now they're sending questions. Paul, what do we do about this? What about these tongues? What about this guy that has his husband's wife? What about all this stuff that's going on? So Paul writes these letters to the church. So what we do have here from, from Paul to the Corinthians is recorded. And so as he gives them that further instruction. So prophecies, were they important in the early church? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not reject utterly reject prophecies but verse 21 examine everything and hold firmly to that which is good examine everything and hold firmly to that which is good what was good about the Bereans anybody remember the Bereans they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so remember that what should you do when you go home today Roger said I better search the scriptures to see if those things were so 1 Corinthians chapter 14, read it, understand it. 1 John 4, 3, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. The Antichrist is already here. The spirit of the Antichrist is, yes, already here even in the days of Paul. So what were they to do? They were to test the spirits. So when these prophets got up, what were the other prophets in attendance to do? They were to test those prophets and make sure what they said was true. Just because you stand up and start speaking does not give you authority. It's not true, right? <coughs> verse 33a tells us that God is not the God of confusion but of profit sorry but of peace I was reading down skip the line God is not the God of confusion but of peace so Paul wants the Corinthians here to understand that this chaos that they had been living in that confusion is not what is mandated for the local church this chaos, this mass confusion, everybody's speaking at one time, getting up tongues, prophets just getting up and everybody's speaking their own. That's not what God intends for the church of the living God. 
as an example. Christ came in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and to properly understand the prophecies in the Old Testament that foretold of God's com coming, what do, you have to, what do you have to know? Well, Number one, you have to read the Old Testament, right? You have to properly discern the Old Testament and those prophecies that foretold Christ's coming, right? Can you do that if all you're doing when you gather together at church is everybody's jumping up and no teaching involved, it's all just emotional, static, uh, people rambling on. Can you learn anything under those conditions? How are you going to even understand? And that, but yet, we, God gave us these, these promises in the Old Testament that foretold of Christ's coming. How are we going to even know about them if it's just confusion in our churches? So that type of reasoning that needs to happen in our lives and in our own minds, each individually we need to be able to understand Scripture. We need to search the Scriptures. We need to be able to understand that for ourselves. Not because Patrick says something. Well, I believe Patrick, but I need to know that for myself. You know, when we talk about our doctrine that we believe, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, pedo communion, infant baptism, uh, speaking in tongues because it's current today. We need to know that for ourselves so that when I talk to somebody at work, I can properly explain the truth. Not say, hey, can you give my pastor a call? He's pretty good at that stuff. He knows a lot of that. And he's, he went to seminary. He knows all this stuff. We need to understand it for ourselves. So God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So we need a church that is a place where we can learn about, about those doctrines and study those together as, as a people. It's not, I mean, it's not all about just fellowship and having a good time. It's also about studying the scriptures to see if those things were so. We need to give praise when we understand who God is and what Christ has done for us. When we properly understand the Old Testament, how, those, how Christ was foretold that he would come and die on the cross, curses, man hangs on the tree, when he would die for our sins and that Abraham believed and his belief, his faith was counted to him to righteousness, right? We need to understand those things in our own lives. We can't have that reasoning and that, that true belief if we just come and we just all come to church and dance the hokey pokey, right? We need to be able to understand the scriptures and study those. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Heard that enough? And once we begin to understand all that, then we will have peace. We've got peace with God and peace with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We won't be arguing and fighting and suing each other in courts of law like the Corinthians were doing. Remember that? Instead, we'll be dealing with people face to face. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Here, you take this. Okay, that's the God we serve, one who has given us uh, scriptures to study. We need to understand those. Now, before I read this next section, we'll begin to talk about the, the, the women keeping silent in the church. This verse 4, 33b, the last half of the verse I didn't read, 33, uh, it probably refers to the section that's immediately following concerning the women in the church and not the previous section about the proper use of prophecies in the church. You know, most of you know this already, but, you know, the, the punctuation and the divisions and chapter divisions that was done much later in time okay but even if you'll notice even in the scriptures you know um, it puts a period you know in the middle of verse 33 so that last part of 33 33b kind of goes with the following so and you'll, and you'll see that when uh, you'll see that when we read that so first corinthians 14 33 in the last half as in all the churches of the saints the women are to keep silent in the church 
for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject themselves, just as the law also says. And if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, we'll say this. A lot of people think this is real controversial, and we need to skip this part, okay? Women have been beat down long enough in their life, right? They need to... Couldn't be further from the truth. You know, Christ came... You know, we're... Paul talks about as believers, we're neither bond, servant, free, we're slaves. It's all the same. We're all one in Christ. We're all equal. Different roles, right? Women carry the babies. Men do the work, the protector, the, all that stuff. We, we've talked about that in the past few chapters, so I don't, don't want to rehash that too much. But all Paul is doing here is just pointing out more roles in the church. So Paul here begins in verse 33 and with particular instruction to the women in the church. And what I want to do is read this excerpt from um, uh, one of my commentaries, the Believer's Bible Commentary. It's written in the 1900s. <clears throat> he says, quote, The instructions which Paul is giving to the Corinthian saints do not apply to them alone. Stop for just a second. Remember verse 33b, as in all the churches of the saints? Back to the quote. So they do not apply just to them alone. This is the same instruction that has been addressed to all the churches of the saints. The uniform testimony of the New Testament is that while women have many valuable ministries, it is not given to them to have a public ministry to the whole church. They are entrusted with the unspeakably important work of the home and of raising children, but they are not allowed to speak publicly in the assembly. Theirs is to be a place of submission to the man in that corporate worship. <clears throat> we also believe that the expression, as the law also says, has reference to the woman's being submissive to the man. That's in verse last part of verse 34. Scripture says, just as the law also says. Back to the quote. This is clearly taught in the law, which here is probably referring back to the Pentateuch primarily, Genesis 3.16 says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. End quote. So, this is not some new thing from some male chauvinist Paul who felt that women need to be beat down and kept in their proper place. Okay? That's not what this is about at all. This is about ordering the church. This is about keeping uh, the chaos, the confusion down. Everything will be done decently and in order. Okay? What are we lacking now in our society? So much. We're lacking order, aren't we? Now, not only you know the days of Noah, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. What are we doing today? Everybody is doing what's right in their own eyes. Well, I don't care what God says. Usually you don't hear that. Usually what you hear is, well, that's what you believe, which is code for, I do what I want. Okay? So Paul here is giving instruction. And when Paul says that women should ask their husbands at home, red flag goes up and some women, oh, I don't have a husband. Well, do you have a father? Do you have an, an, an older person at home? Anybody in authority? Who's the head of the house? So it's just general instruction here that Paul's given. Whenever there's authority at home, that's, that's who you would ask. And, and for those who had neither, then just ask whoever is, is that they have confidence in as their spiritual elder, their spiritual prophet, their somebody that's more mature in the word that's what that's for 
I will point out Paul's earlier admonition in chapter 11. We talked about this, chapter 11, verse 13. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. Man is the head of every woman, of a woman. And God is the head of Christ. There is a rule of authority. Okay? There is a rule of authority. Ethan, do you have a boss at work? Okay. I do too. Does he have a boss? We used the military, I think, didn't we? Where you have, you have a chain of command that we go through. Well, this is God's chain of command. First Timothy 2.11 restates this as well. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a wrongdoer. Why is Paul bringing this up to the Corinthians in the middle of tongues and of prophecy? Well, these gifts of tongues or prophecies are really speaking publicly in the church. They're really forms of teaching. And so, whether there were prophetic utterances or speaking forth, prophesying, speaking forth the revealed word of God or explaining some existing doctrines that were previously heard, maybe they're delivering them in tongues. Regardless, these are all forms of teaching. And so the women would need to remain quiet during the public instruction of the church. And once again, church is wild, chaos going on. Everybody's talking at the same time. There was no control. So I think Paul here is, is trying to institute that, that order, that get rid of that confusion, that chaos. And now you can imagine getting that self-control that would be required going from a madhouse to one of order where people are basically having manners they're being civil to each other so i think that exercising that self-control during the time of corporate worship was going to be difficult for the men as well as the women when they're dying to just get up and say something so but they had to learn to do things decently and in order and i can imagine that christ would not that church would not be the same once that order was instituted and opportunities for edification and fellowship and and just teaching would blossom i can see that so, now, I do want to say, I've worked with, no names, I did work with a lady one time, and she, she was, uh, I'm going to say Methodist, can't remember, but she, if, when we would talk about stuff, you know, I'd say something, that's Paul, you know, and she was your typical male, she thought Paul was a male chauvinist, he was sexist, and anything he wrote was automatically disqualified, Okay. So she was actually judging scripture. I guess she was a critical, she judged the critical text. Really, she was judging the text critically because she didn't want to, she didn't agree with some of it. So what I would tell her is, you know, for those who argue that Paul is sexist or chauvinist, I don't see, he's not placing the reason for all the confusion in the Corinthian church upon the women with this latest instruction. He's just simply reinstituting the proper role of men being authority in church, especially when that teaching and that exhortation is going on. So I think we can take Paul's instruction to mean that it's, it's improper or out of order for a woman to stand up and to start teaching in corporate worship or start to question what is being taught, which is why it says not to ask questions in the corporate worship. You know, I'm sure most of us have probably done this. When you want to say something, but you don't want to appear like you're questioning authority, you know, in a bad way. So you'll say, well, what about this? Right? And so we can ask questions, and we, but by asking those questions, we're actually spouting forth our opinion and trying to teach. So I think that some of the things that, that 
Paul is, is dealing with here. Like I said, they, they, had, they weren't orderly at all, these church meetings that they were having. You know, they didn't pass out bulletins and said, you know, here's, here's where so-and-so is going to be speaking in tongues. And we've got two prophets coming up after that. And then uh, we're going to do another tongues and the guy's going to interpret, you know, that set. That's not what they had. It was chaos and confusion. So Paul's instituting order. So, uh, you know, it's completely different in our day most of the time, especially, well, in our Reformed community anyway. And, you know, I had a Baptist friend of mine that I worked with and invited her to come to church one time, and she came. And I said, well, so what would you think? I said, uh, you know, you know, we do things in, you know, in order and shit stuff. And she told me, she said, uh, uh, it was not very active. <laughs> so, Patrick, our church service is not very active. Okay, so we need to start doing a little bit more hand-raising, amening, and we'll probably leave it at that. Let's not do the aisle running or anything. Is that, that's okay. Is that okay? Uh, so anyway, but I, I, can, you, can you imagine the change in atmosphere that the Corinthians would see? I mean, going from a, a raging party to an orderly place where you would go and, and sit and listen. Now, I do think that Paul might have anticipated some pushback after giving the Corinthians all this structure and, and order in their corporate worship because you know they were definitely not used to that. Before we get, get to look at the last section, you had questions so far? Yes? <laughs> I think she was looking for uh, <laughs> getting moved by the Spirit. Are you asking me a question? No. What? De <laughs> Deborah? We talked about this. By the way, this is Sunday school, okay? We're not, this is not a corporate worship, so we're a gym. Good point. So, yes, to be the leader in your home. Yeah. Okay, verse 36, we're moving on. Paul says, Paul writes, Or was it from you that the word of God first went out? Or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So these two questions here that Paul asks in verse 36, I think they do contain some irony, is it would be silly for the Corinthians to think that the word of God came from them and to them only. So Paul's saying here that if you disagree with my instructions or you doubt the authenticity of what I say, what I write, well, then you must assume that your credentials trump my own as well as the other apostles because that's what was taught in the churches, the New Testament churches. And then he continues, if anyone's a true prophet or spiritual in the least, He's going to recognize that what I said falls directly in line with the Lord's teaching on this subject. So if anyone doubts this and thinks his judgment's greater than my own, well, firstly, he's discredited himself. And he's proven that he is not to be recognized as someone who is spiritual or recognizes true doctrine. So in other words, he would lose his status as a prophet or even being recognized as a spiritual leader. So here Paul, in this last few verses, he puts his teaching directly against whoever would offer to teach otherwise. He makes it clear that 
The previous confusion that was ongoing in the church was not something that Christ would have approved of. In verse 39, Paul summarizes everything. Therefore, my brothers and sisters earnestly desire to prophesy. prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly way. Therefore starts off, meaning because of these things, therefore, my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. We just read a whole chapter, two chapters on speaking in tongues. And Paul says, you know, this is wrong. This is going on bad. This is confusion. No interpreters. So Paul kind of tempers all that by saying, listen, the gift of tongues is legitimate. Don't just say forbid it. That's not correct either. It was a legitimate gift that was going on in the early church. So Paul says, don't forbid speaking in tongues, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly way. So he recognized, of course, that there were still those temporary sign gifts and gifts of prophecy that were being used regularly. He didn't want to stop all those legitimate gifts, but to make sure that they were done properly and in order, legitimately. Exhortation. Remember that first one we read first? Exhortation, that was the goal, to edify one another. Exhortation, that was the primary goal of all these gifts, and it continues to be the goal for those who use spiritual gifts today in the church. Exhortation, building one another up, edifying God, doing the work of the ministry. Disorder and chaos, that makes proper exhortation possible, impossible. We have to have order. We have to have uh, an orderly service. There must be order in what we do. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So Paul... Let me give you the one-verse summary for chapter 14. Stop the battle for preeminence. Stop battling with one another. Just quit you fighting. Okay, that's what I would say. That's the Appalachian tongue. Stop fighting with one another and get along. Okay? Everything done decently in order. He's trying to... You're not somebody at somebody else's expense. Stop vying for somebody to be something you're not. Instead, just fulfill whatever spiritual gifts you have. Meet the needs of bodies. Remember we talked about we're different fingers and hands and arms and wrists and feet and head and eyes and ears. We don't have all those things we're lacking. God built this church, Bridwell Heights, the local church, not just the universal, but the local church. We are a body of Christ. So if you have the gift of fill in the blank, get to work. Because without you doing your gift, this body is lacking. If you're the nose, now we can't smell. Well, that affects a lot of other things too, doesn't it? You can't smell for electrical fire in your house. You can't smell your food before you eat it. Maybe you eat something rotten. It's just a smell. No, everything is important in our life. Ears, the eyes, okay? All that's important. So whatever gift you have. So for us here today, when we spend the time and effort to really look out for one another and when we put each other first in, in our lives, put others first in our lives, we really when we meet those other needs, we will find that, that God will use our lives in a mighty way. All I do is pray. You have no idea what a difference that makes in people's lives. Not only just people knowing that you're praying for them, but that you're actually asking God to meet their needs. And God commands that we pray and we meet those needs. You know, one of the things we talk about, it's not just the end game, but God also ordains the methods, the means. 
Okay? So whether you have, you know, the gift of organization, where we need organization, whatever it is, exercise your gift. You know, we, not, we may not be the pastor in the local assembly and speak to thousands every week, considering you two, sermon audio, but we may be used and said to minister to maybe a shut-in who needs our love and companionship. Never underestimate the gift that you have. Never ever underestimate the power of God working through you in someone else's life. So we may not even be the person that plays the music that thousands sing to. Because you can imagine, you know, the Beverly Shea and, and all these thousands of people hear that. Wouldn't that be great? Thousands of people, you know, listen, listen to him sing and, and, and glorify God. But yet we may be that one person who prays for our neighbor. And they don't even know it. And yet our neighbor now comes to Christ because we've asked God to save them. Maybe they've seen God work in our lives and they give them the heart of flesh. And now we can be used to take the gospel to them because we've been praying for our neighbor. Prayer doesn't just change the neighbor, it changes us too. So maybe now God uses us to call that person to Christ through the gospel. You know, maybe you're just sending letters to missionaries or just praying for, uh, for those on your monthly prayer sheets. Well, what good's that? You know, before I get in bed at night, I take the little monthly prayer sheet and I'll, God, please meet, uh, let's see, yeah, meet their need and this guy here. And, well, you never know what that's doing in, in somebody's life. You know, you may think that's little or nothing in the overall scheme of what God's grand plan, but you're wrong. You are wrong. Just as the Corinthians thought that they could be somebody, they were wrong. I think, oh, I have to speak in tongues, or I have to stand up front and be loud so everybody... They were wrong. This is why we have Scripture. We have the wisdom of God versus the foolishness of man. So whatever gift you have, use it in the, in the local body. Meet your brothers' and sisters' needs. And when you do that, they'll be meeting your needs. And next thing you know, you're friends. Have fellowship one with another. Christ is glorified. The, family's, the family is taken care of. So that's why we have our gifts. So... Just because you think you have some small, minuscule, it's not very visible gift from God, you're wrong. That's a powerful gift that God has given you and you alone to use in the body to edify Him, to build up the local body that we may do the work of the ministry. So think about that. Think about your gifts, how we can use them, and how you can use your own gifts in the local church. Okay? Now, next, next week, we're going to look at chapter 15. We're going to look at the resurrection. Any questions about today? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you for this day that you've given us, this one day in seven that we can rest in the completed work of Christ. Teach us to love you. Teach us to love each other. Teach us to use our spiritual gifts for the betterment of our family here at church that we would edify one another, that we would exhort one another, that we would study the scriptures daily and, and, and know what people need, that we would get to know each other, that we could do the work of the ministry, that you would use us as outreach, that we could show others that love of Christ that, that we have for each other. And as we read in John, 1 John, Lord, the, uh, the love that the, that the brethren have for one another, that's a mark of a believer, and it's a 
perfect witness to the, to the lost world. So, Lord, I pray now that you would uh, teach us from your word those things that you want us to know. Empower us to use our gifts and our talents for um, uh, work of the ministry, that we would minister to one another. And as we uh, deal with our communion and our fellowship lunch afterwards, Lord, I do pray that you would use that time to help us to grow closer together, that we would truly pray for one another as the Lord, as you bring these things upon our mind. And uh, we ask now you be with Patrick in the service to come, that you would give him words to speak, that he may speak forth truth, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are obedient. We ask all this in the name of Jesus.